Hello and welcome back to the sixth episode of the Link Latest Asia Bite-Side Antitrust. I'm Kev Gui, and today I'm joined by my colleague Yolanda Hutaper from our Jakarta team. In this episode, we will explore some recent competition law developments in Indonesia. There have been significant legal reforms following the omnibus law in November 2020. Yolanda, maybe you can kick off by telling us a little bit more about those changes. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. The 2020 omnibus law is perhaps one of the most extensive legal reforms in the country's history. It drastically changed the landscape governing various sectors and industries. The reforms were introduced to attract foreign investment and create new job opportunities in Indonesia, of course. It has eased foreign investment restrictions by allowing most economic sectors to be open to 100% for ownership. Right. In terms of the impact on competition law, what are the key changes brought by the omnibus law? There are two points worth mentioning to our audience here. Uh, the first key change is the level of administrative fines. So under the old law, the KPPU could only impose fines of up to 1.8 million USD. A new regulation was adopted in February, introducing a new cap of either 50% of a company's net profit uh, or 10% of its turnover. And the second significant update is clarifying the new law on criminal sanctions. So previously, um, a violation of competition law could have resulted in criminal sanctions, though in practice, the KPPU never imposed such sanctions. The omnibus law has amended the law to clarify criminal sanctions only apply where is uh, obstruction to KPPU investigation. Obviously, um, the level of fines is a significant point for businesses. It seems that in terms of fining and sanctions, the Indonesian competition regime is moving more in line with other jurisdictions in the region. As elsewhere, fines are often tied with turnover. Um, this will, of course, mean that antitrust risks and consequences are higher for large domestic or multinational companies as the fine is no longer capped at $1.8 million. So maybe we can turn to um, KPPU enforcement activities. I think it would be interesting to update our audience on the recent trends. Uh, bit rigging has always been the focus in KPPU's enforcement activity uh, since competition law came into force in Indonesia. In fact, uh, there were 13 bit rigging cases decided in 2020. So topping the KPPU enforcement chart. The standards were mostly government tenders, and it is not surprising that KPPU is prioritizing its investigation in these cases, given that the government or public funds are the victim of the anti-competitive conduct. And interestingly, in a recent case, uh, the KPPU also prohibited the relevant procurement staff from being involved in public tender in the future. It shows that uh, the KPPU is penalizing companies beyond mere financial penalties. Apart from bid rigging, we have seen the KPPU has also been busy with abuse of dominance cases. From what we understand, the common theme in KPPU's abuse enforcement is to focus on discriminatory practices. There was at least one high-profile case in the last year where the right-hailing platform Grab was investigated. 
In that case, Grab was allegedly giving preferential treatment to some of its drivers over others on its platform. Actually, um, the KPPU lost that case in the end. The Supreme Court decided in April Grab did not infringe the competition law by way of preferential treatment. The court accepted that self-preferencing by Grab was due to Grab's reward program to its driver, which was a common marketing feature across different industries. Um, while the Supreme Court judgment was not in favor of uh, KPPU, it does not seem to discourage the regulatory from pursuing discriminatory cases. So for example, Garuda Indonesia, the flag carrier was fined in August 1 billion rupiah by allegedly conducting discriminatory practices when dealing with its uh, ticketing agents. Those concerns raised related to the sales of tickets to Middle East for Umrah, Islamic pilgrimage. Garuda Indonesia was allegedly selling tickets to only five ticketing agents. Right. I think one interesting point from that case was that Garuda Indonesia was the first company to have what is called an integrity pact with the KPPU. Based on my understanding, the regulator introduced this um, alternative enforcement outcome in 2020. So in tr instead of fines, companies can settle with KPPU by agreeing to carry out certain measures to address competition concerns. In Garuda case, it was subsequently found to have not complied with the conditions agreed with KPPU. So this resulted in fines uh, being imposed subsequently. You are right, Kev. One of the reasons that Integrity Pact was introduced was to ease financial difficulties faced by the businesses due to COVID-19. And KPPU has a pragmatic approach when balancing the impact of the pandemic on businesses and the application of competition law. Um, so therefore, we may see more and more settlements without fines. Speaking of COVID-19, it seems that the pandemic has definitely changed the retail landscape and the role of digital platforms in the past two years. So what we have seen in Asia is that a digital economy becomes or will become a key focus of various um, Asia regulators moving forward. Based on news reports, it does seem that KPPU has been doing a lot of catching up on its initiatives and enforcements in the digital space. If I remember correctly, um, KPPU had conducted a market study related, relating to digital sector last year. Right. The market study mainly focused on assessing uh, the factors and consumer behaviors that affect competition in the digital market. Um, the report identified a few key major players in the e-commerce market, which seemed uh, to suggest a competitive digital market. The study also mentions KPPU recommendation to fast power to the KPPU to exercise its supervisory authority on personal data abuse, potentially give rise to unfair competition. Uh, in KPPU's view, access to personal data is key to companies positioning in certain relevant markets. The regulator's posture may have evolved over time. This year, one of the major e-commerce platforms Shopee was in the spotlight as uh, there were complaints that the cheap imported products sold on the platform are harming the local SMEs. Shopee subsequently agreed to stop selling certain imported Muslim fashion 
and accessories on its platform. This is a move to ensure that the interests of the local SMEs, uh, which produce same or similar products, are protected. And there were also some concerns raised on priority agreement by these platforms. Essentially, it is a form of exclusive agreement where merchants were asked not to sell on rival platforms. And it remains to be seen what the regulator's reaction to these concerns would be. But definitely watch this space. Apart from behavioral concerns, I think it's also worth mentioning the merger of the two major digital companies in Indonesia, Goja and Tokopedia, which will likely create the largest tech group in Southeast Asia. Indeed. This deal is currently under close scrutiny of the regulator. Uh, as you may know, Indonesia has a post-closing notification regime. So before COVID-19, parties have uh, 30 days from completion to file. The KPPU has relaxed uh, the filing deadline to 60 days due to the pandemic. Based on the KPPU's uh, past decision, it has uh, not prohibited any merger nor imposed any structural remedies, but it had imposed various behavioral remedies. Um, it is currently unclear what would be KPPU's decision on the Gojek uh, Tokopedia deal, but it will be interesting to see whether the regulator will seek to impose uh, stricter remedies if necessary. Since we are on the merger filing topic, Yolanda, um, can you give us some key headlines for merger filing in Indonesia before we wrap up? Certainly. KPPU issued a merger guideline in October last year. It clarified that one of the thresholds to assess whether merger filing is triggered is worldwide assets of the relevant party instead of assets in Indonesia. Now, you may think that this will trigger a number of filings in Indonesia, which has no nexus. Unlike the previous 2013 merger guideline, the current guideline does not set out definite for mergers that are considered to have impact in Indonesia. Its case has to be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis carefully. Uh, as the, the guideline is relatively new, the KPPU's approach on enforcement of foreign-to-foreign -foreign mergers still remains to be seen. Another point is that uh, the guideline also introduces a simplified filing procedure. The process shortens the review timeline to 14 working days instead of the statutory maximum review period of 150 working days under the normal process. Wow, simpler and shorter. That's good news. I think it's a good place for us to wrap up. Thank you so much, Yolanda. We are always happy to discuss any questions, so please feel free to reach out. In the next episode, we'll be covering some of the key developments in Vietnam with our colleagues in Allen's Vietnam. Thanks for listening and goodbye.